any given Monday. The weekend's over, the final sirens have sounded. We've got our winners and losers, our champs and our chumps. Any given Monday. So now it's time to look back and evaluate all the games, dramas and controversies from the best sport in the world. Any given Monday. So forget about those back-to-work blues and settle in for this week's edition of Any Given Monday. Please join your hosts, author and historian Dr Dan Eddy and local football expert Owen Carter as they're joined by special weekly guests for your most comprehensive wrap of the weekend's action. Let's get to it. Any Given Monday. Well, good morning. It's that time again. It's Monday, the day we all look forward to, of course. Time for any given Monday brought to you by papernews.com.au. Get all your up-to-date news on there, even the salacious stuff that Maddie Dunn writes. Uh, <laughs> some of the uh, stuff that um, I'm pretty... If you go and check out his article from... Last week, which we discussed, uh, I think uh, the women in the local area took it on board because uh, no one's been talking to me this week. So, <laughs> uh, thanks, Maddie. I've uh, got to uh, got to have a chat with you about that and maybe change your <laughs> change, change your sentiments. Uh, this is Dr. Dan Eddy here with Owen Carter, our local or oh, everything footy expert, really, but uh, p- particularly local. Uh, good to see you, mate, or hear you. Great to be back, Dan. Uh, yeah, expert's a bit of a stretch, but happy to be here as always. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone's an expert sitting in with me, mate, so <laughs> all good. But um, no, it's been an interesting round, hasn't it? Uh, we'll probably have to wait until last night, Sunday night's game, for the for the, probably the most entertaining one of the of the whole weekend, the Carlton and the Western Bulldogs match, because there was a few in the lead-up that weren't too crash hot. Uh, absolutely not. Uh, and I did want to touch on, just before we get into the, the games for the round, um, you asked me last week what I thought about the new interpretations of rules and specifically holding the ball. And I sort of sat on the fence last week, and I can tell you right now I'm not sitting on the fence anymore <laughs> it is horrible what Isn't it? it is that's not what that rule is there for um and yeah the the new interpretation of it is uh yeah is needs to be relooked again I, I know you tweeted out today i saw your tweet about uh how we're the most knee-jerk reaction professional league in in the world basically uh, yep. you get yeah american sports that the adjudications will be pretty consistent uh, whereas we will have something happen and we'll go, all right, well, we need to fix this this week to try and get the game flowing a bit. But, yeah, the, as soon as Blake gets pinged uh, without really any prior uh, attempt to or ability to get rid of the ball, uh, yeah, I've been pretty disgusted with, with uh, some of the decisions this weekend. Uh, the only thing I can say with positivity is they've been consistent with it. Yeah, that's true, and I guess that's one thing we ask for. But yeah, that that tweet was in um, response to Nathan Burke, the the great St Kilda player, uh, responding to uh, um, uh, Luke Beveridge, the Bulldogs coach, who who was responding as we as we flow on, who was responding to Alistair Clarkson's um, suggestion a couple of weeks ago or demand that uh, the game was being. Uh, yeah, we needed to look at the holding the balls and the dropping the balls, and and instantly, one of his best friends, Gil McLaughlin, 
saw to it that that rule was changed overnight. So that was something that is staggering to me and it would, no matter how much influence the major sport owners have over in the States, you don't you don't see a difference and probably the same for the EPL in England you, you don't see a difference from round one to round you still have bad games where it's poorly adjudicated or, or whatever it might be but uh, for the almost to the most part it is consistent from one week to the next and, and most sports I think when finals come around they relax a bit on the on some of the tightness of the rules which is probably how it should be played all through the year but what we've what we do and uh, it's the same. I'm not whinging because I'm an Essendon fan, but Dylan Shield, two weeks, and it's probably justified his two weeks. But if if the guy who he bumped in the head, um, whose name escapes me at the moment, from North Melbourne, if he had just got up and ran on and played out with no injury, there's no suspension. So that's that's what I don't like, is we are reactionary to everything that's happening. You either just completely outlaw the action, no matter what the consequences are, or... You, you you just can't take into it. You can't be all factored in by the punishment you dish out. Like it has to be. In, in my view, I just think that's that's a that's a sign of the reactionary times that we do um, wait and see what the outcome is. I mean, gee whiz, if, if if that was the case, there'd be a lot of people in jail for stuff that might might have caused uh, caused a problem. You know, I just think that's part of the. There's a whole thing about where we're so scared of upsetting the wrong person or the wrong group or the wrong whatever it might be that uh, we're changing rules and laws uh, willy-nilly just to please whoever is leading the agenda that week. Yeah, well, I reckon you've uh, almost slipped slightly into dangerous territory there going, <laughs> going into some of that other stuff. But, um, yeah, look, uh, touching on your, your high bumps, uh, Ben Long's been referred to the tribunal as well so completely skip the match review panel and he'll uh, face the tribunal straight away so uh, he could be looking at four weeks instead of two or three now yeah and as, as I said Dylan Shields been offered or, or told he's got two and uh, it's probably right for he did overstep the ball and he did um, he, he opted to bump rather than go the ball and Ben Long reckon he was unlucky in the sense that he was doing the right thing, but then when um, his opponent, the much bigger opponent, got low, um, suddenly it became a, a head situation when it would have been a hip otherwise. And he was sort of he put himself in the right position, I think, to actually withstand a bump from his opponent mm. and then go and gather the ball. But the opponent suddenly got low on him, and uh, it was too late. And so I can I can understand that he will get punished again. He's a bit, bit unlucky with consequences, but uh, obviously the outcome is not what we're after with concussions and everything. I realise that, but um, that's the thing. It's it's hard for, as you know, when you when you grow up and you've you've got um, you've got uh, built-in ways that you approach the ball, and that's what's happened from day one, basically, and it's all through your junior footy, and then you get into the top ranks where it's so quick, you have a split second to make a decision, and you still have those body protection elements in place um most of the guys uh, don't go in with malice to try and hurt the other bloke so it's it must be hard for them to try and adjust in that split second that you and me have never really had to worry about uh, adjusting in such quick time yeah yeah not wrong um look we can easily sit here in our armchairs and with our uh with our tin of beer and and our chips on the side and munch away and go yep um he could have done that differently and it's 
most likely almost definitely a, a different situation on the field and you've only got that as you say you got that split second to react and it just didn't time or line up very, very well for Ben Long um, he, he came in just a little bit too early and collected Sean Darcy in the head whereas you say um, he he lined it up in a manner that had he come in a little bit later, it would have been fine. And the fact that he's hit him in the head, that's obviously what we're trying to stamp out of the game at the top level, um, just to reduce those concussion injuries. And, yeah, he'll he'll pay the price for it. He will, which is unfortunate for Saints fans like yourself because I reckon he's been putting together a good few weeks in the uh, black, white and red. He has, and that's not the only unfortunate thing about the uh, Saint, for Saints fans this weekend, but we'll get into that a little <laughs> bit later. <laughs> We'll get onto that. We'll start on Thursday night. And Geelong and Brisbane, I don't know if you saw the game, but in the first first half, going into half time, you thought, gee, Brisbane are, you know, I've got them pegged for one of the premiership contenders and they mm. are right on song here. And they were outdoing everything uh, in terms of outplaying Geelong. And then after half time, that third quarter was just a stunning turnaround where you got to see the best of the Cats and the the non-existent levels of the Lions, which was... Uh, I, I listened to Brisbane coach after the game. I'm, I'm having a bit of a blank with names tonight. but Chris Fagan. Um, Chris Fagan, yeah. <laughs> and he and he was just perplexed by what had gone on in that third quarter. What did you, what did you think were the, were the keys to that? Because, yeah, the Cats were awesome for, uh, for half an hour and completely turned the game around. Yeah, um, I had a few... Th- I did catch the game, so I did have a few thoughts on them. Um, as you say, it was pretty level pegging. I think uh, Cats were slightly ahead uh, just going into half-time, but for the most part, uh, Brisbane were up to the to the task, and just after half-time, I just felt that Geelong's mids got on top and the team as a whole just started to bully them. I did see from the outset that... Uh, Cats did have a plan to go and hit the Brisbane players hard. Um, I feel like Gary Rowan, uh, who got uh, reported as well earlier on in the game, I've, I felt like he had uh, some sort of function he had to go to next week and just needed an excuse to get out of it. <laughs> he was hitting everyone left, right and centre. <laughs> um, he, he actually had a decent game, Gary Rowan. Um, he did. Yep. It was probably one of his better games for the Cats since he's been there. But um, another bloke, uh, Sam Simpson, who probably anyone outside of Geelong circles wouldn't know much about. I know I didn't, but uh, he played a pretty good game too. He ended up uh, top disposal go with 27 just ahead of Danger, who had 26. Yeah. Um, but I really felt that Brisbane's tools were ineffective. Like Eric Hipwood, for example, you get... You hear big raps about Hipwood, and he was just non-existent that night. And uh, even the smalls too. Charlie Cameron had a goal early, but didn't do much for the rest of the night. And they, I just felt like they were passengers. And as I say, uh, Cats uh, midfield just bullied Brisbane in the end and got them over the line. Very good summary. I I, um, I agree. I think Hipwood's a huge letdown at the moment. He's they've got so many. Um, exciting weapons throughout the ground and, and he, when you see him and he's on song he can do some special things but he just it's, it's nowhere near enough and they're crying out for someone just to stand up and be an Alistair Lynch up forward for a little bit just mm. to complement everything that's happening around the ground I mean if Charlie Cameron um, is your your main target I mean you, you got to reconsider what's going on up forward because he should be the guy, a bit like Eddie Betts at Carlton last night, uh, was able to really compliment what was happening with uh, some of the bigger guys, and that's what should be happening with 
um, with Cameron, but it's he's sort of forced to carry the load, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you flip that around to Geelong's tools, and Tomahawk had a had a night out as well. That's probably one of his better games for the year as well. So uh, you, you sit there and you look at him and go, well, Cats had an even spread across and pretty much everyone contributed, whereas Brisbane wouldn't be able to uh, tell the same story. No, and that's that's a credit to Tom because uh, he's on probably in the best couple of defenders in the comp at the moment in Harris Andrews, mm. and he he, he uh, won the day, so that's a pretty good thing. And and the Cats to do that, Mitch Duncan and I think Quinton Narkle, I think they were both off for most of the game, weren't yeah. they? So to do that with two men down was a f- sensational effort. Well, that was early too. Narkle was off in I think the first fifteen minutes, and or even the first ten minutes. And do, do, uh, try that again. Mitch Duncan um, wasn't too far after, so they had a two-man bench for most of that game and to be able to do what they did with uh, less rotations was uh, pretty good for Chris Scott and any Geelong supporter, I would have thought. For sure. 11 to six ten forty six. the Lions. Pretty disappointing performance by them. Friday night. I'm just getting my stats up here so I know <laughs> sound like I know what I'm talking about, but um, another letdown, this one. I, I thought... I. Uh, I almost I, I tipped the pies in one of the competitions I'm in, and then at the last minute I thought I might switch this, but I didn't, thank God. But I, I just had a, uh, a hunch that the Hawks, Clarko might be able to work some magic. But to be honest, there wasn't a lot of magic going on. The pies were in command for most of the most of the night, and won comfortably, if you can call it comfortable, when it's only 32 points. But eight eleven fifty nine to three nine twenty seven. Uh, did you see that? And what were your what were your thoughts? Yeah, I uh, caught this game as well. And you know, a five goal win this year is uh, probably akin to a, a seven or eight goal win now. So, um, I believe that was uh, Hawthorne's lowest score under Clarko. I believe it uh, thirty one was their previous lowest score under Clarko. So, um, yeah, I, I sort of came out of that game thinking that. I haven't seen Hawthorne play that badly in quite some time. They turn the ball over continually. But having said that, that was due to Pye's pressure, which was really on early. Um, Hawks just couldn't get any run and carry going and couldn't get any of their game plan going whatsoever just due to um, Collingwood's uh, pressure game. Uh, and As well as that, the, the Hawks that did touch it, I think Mitchell and probably Liam Shields played a... Alone, or lone hands in the midfield. Uh, they didn't get well supported by Jager O'Meara and Scully and Warple, which they normally would have. So I think they, because they had games that were not as up to standard as they would expect, that that's probably a, a outcome that we've seen there in terms of how badly Hawthorne did. But they're, they're also lacking someone up forward as well. They're, they've put their eggs in a basket with uh, a few blokes down there and it's just not working out for them so they'll go back to the drawing board I'm sure Clarko will pull something out of his bum for next week but um, Pye's back on the winning board and looking good as well Yep, fair call and in this world where uh, we're all focused on stats and um, you know points for the top players that you win your dream team games and if you look at the, you look at the stats and you think gee the Hawks must have won because you've got James Sicily has got 114 um, points uh, Tom Mitchell 102 you've got Isaac Smith Shields they're the, they're the top four and yet their team's been outplayed most of the night you know so 
quality of possession, I think, maybe because of the shorter games too, it's standing out a bit more. The quality of possession's proving, uh, taking us back to older times almost when you didn't have to have a 30 disposal game to actually be best on the ground. You could have 15, 16 touches and actually still be one of the standouts. It's only really changed, I reckon, since we got into the the Dream Team game where suddenly it's all about who gets the most touches. Mm, yeah. Um, when James Sicily's racking up uh, 114 fantasy points, you know it's been down the back line a fair bit for Hawthorne. Um, <laughs> True. Interesting, yeah. interesting you touch on disposals. Obviously, Adam Trelaw uh, racked up 35, and that's 30-plus this year is pretty hard to do. I think they were saying that Trelaw's the only one to have done it twice this year so far. Uh, well. Trelaw's a bit of an accumulator for me. Um Yep. Whether he does something damaging or impactful with his disposal uh, can be debated. Uh, sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. Sometimes he gets his little one-twos and other times he he is actually kicking to do some damage or handballing to do some damage. Um, but, yeah, as I say, he's a bit of an accumulator for me. Uh, Pendlebury is probably the one that did or had the most impact in that midfield Uh Taylor, yep. Taylor Adams is a, li- a little bit in the same boat for me as well. He has no troubles getting his hands on the ball, but what he actually does with it um, may or may not have a positive impact on the team. Braden Maynard's had another good game. Um, the Actually, two players I happened to notice were the new blokes for Collingwood. So Isaac Quainer, who has played a couple of games before, he looked really good dashing through... Um, Dashing through the midfield and off half back, and uh, I'm going to attempt the other bloke's name is uh, yeah. Uh, uh, although calling him R2, I think they gave up on the surname after a while. Um, I know BT was getting it wrong fairly, fairly often. Oh. So, uh, both Basina Velagi, Basina Velagi. There you go. Well done. Um, well done. We'll go with that. Yeah, uh, he he impressed me especially early. Um, he got his hands on the ball quite often and, and he looked really, really good. He managed to get it to teammates and uh, get it out to, to space or to the advantage of the, his teammates. So I reckon uh, yep. you'll be seeing him in black and white next week um, as well as Quainor. Um The other bloke I didn't touch on for Hawthorne as well was Chad, Win- Chad Wingard had three touches to halftime and for a bloke of his stature and quality, you expect more output out of him. He had the buzz cut and didn't help him at all. So uh, the only reason I recognised him is he had the, the full sleeves going down both arms. So, <laughs> um, But yeah, guys like that, they, they need more output from at Hawthorne, I think. Yeah, there was a stat, I think it was last week, where... It broke down the the top top handful of players you'd want delivering the ball inside 50 and he was I think his was an 81% retention rate which was top of at for the season yeah. you know so 8 out of every 10 times he hits a target going forward so he's the sort of bloke you want the ball in his hands as much as possible across half forward so that's you're right that's probably a key to one of their keys to to breaking down is not having the right uh, right Right in the right hands going forward because there's a few teams like that where there's a handful of blokes that you really want uh, delivering to your forwards and, and for him to be so down. And one bloke who I really... I'm glad his body seems to be right now because he's really living up to his potential. Is Darcy Moore across the back line. I mean, he's he's taken his game to a... He's Jeremy Howe-like in the way mm. he's able to read the play and leap over the top and take a grab and he's... 
smart. I mean, his dad's a two-time Brownlow medalist. I've interviewed Peter Moore a couple of times. He's a fascinating man to speak to and was quite dynamic in his day as well. But Darcy, yeah, he's got his dad's athleticism and more. Yeah, and I think they were commenting at uh, being at 203 centimetres, how nimble and agile he is. Um, he, you mentioned uh, how like, or even McGovern-like, how he's able to leave his uh, direct opponent and just float across that pack and cut it off and and once again, actually do something damaging with it, like hit a teammate up or put it into the advantage of a teammate rather than directly turn it over, which obviously you can't afford to do um, in this day and age in that back half. So, uh, no, he he's definitely in form. And uh, I think you, you need to make him directly accountable. Um, if I don't know if Collingwood had that spare man tactic, but... You, you definitely need him to be worrying about his direct opponent rather than when he can peel off and and uh, take that intercept mark. I think that's the way to counteract him. But you know what? That's easier said than done. So we'll see uh, what... And I'm no AFL coach by any standards. So <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll watch this space on that. But yeah, Darcy Moore's in good form. Definitely. He'd be up there for an All-Australian selection. Now, the next game... On the Saturday, the first game. Yeah, we can skip Fremantle. that one, I think. Yeah, I thought, I thought we'd spend a real <laughs> real bit of time on this one. Um, 12-7-79, the Dockers defeated your Saints 11-7-73. And at quarter time, I thought, Saints, how far? They are, we're going to be talking top four team here. They're, it's all going well. So what what went wrong after such a great start? Yeah, um, look, I, I think you and most other people were in that same boat at quarter time. And St Kilda were cruising and kicked seven goals to one in that first term. Frio, they, they looked like they were up for the fight in the first sort of ten minutes and then they sort of slowly dissipated away and St Kilda were just allowed to do what they wanted to do. Um, yeah, there was a, a, quite a bit of chatter on, on Twitter as I was watching and people were ready to buy their finals tickets and figure out a way to smuggle themselves <laughs> into a finals venue and then it, it all <laughs> fell apart very quickly but you know uh, it, was a, it was a game of two tales for me um, you watch the St Kilda supporters uh, tear their hair out and we now know why Brad Sinclair is bald he's pulled all his hair out over these years <laughs> so watching St Kilda um, yep. g'day to Sinkers if you're listening um, but yeah, the, the Saints, um, it was essentially Q and rack time at quarter time, didn't they? It was all too easy for them in the first quarter. So, all right, we'll, we'll just cruise for the rest of the game. Uh, on the flip side, Frio did respond to um, being behind and they did amp up their pressure. They stopped St Kilda from allowing... Oh, they stopped them from their run and carry game running through. And you might remember a couple of weeks ago, I did say St Kilda, when they get their run and carry game, they look really good and will beat most teams. But when they get stopped, they don't seem to have a plan B or don't have a plan B that works. And I think they got found out from that regard in this game. Uh, Frio managed to stop their run and carry. Um Brad Hill has had a very quiet couple of weeks and while he may not have the axe swung on him this week, he's if he doesn't have a good game this upcoming round, I dare say he might be looking at the axe. Uh, he's uh, got a big big pay packet under him coming to St Kilda and he might want to start earning that. He's, uh, his numbers were not very good and uh, there was made mention a couple of times of how he pulled out a contest now that might be due to our new holding the ball 
interpretation rule. Um, there was a lot of people pull out of contests uh, just because they didn't want to be first to the ball because they'll get pinged. Um, but he and another, a couple of other players were, were guilty of that. Uh, second term, I really felt that Nat Fife, um, he played forward in the first, third and fourth quarters and he got injected into the middle in the second. Um, he did a lot of grunt work, which I felt got unnoticed, but he was everywhere in that second quarter and literally pulled his side back into the contest, uh, giving his side first use of the ball um, and just pulling some players along with him. So he was uh, what I felt was a, a big uh, contributor for how Freya got back into that game in that second term. Then he, he pretty much rested forward for the rest of the game. Um yeah, the Saints' effort, their run, was just non-existent after quarter time. Um, a champ for me, uh, Frio's Lockie Schultz, uh, which Victorians probably won't know a lot about. I think he's from Victoria, just off the top of my head. I'm not 100% sure on that. But he played a really good game and popped up. And talk about impact, I really felt that he was impactful and, and damaging. Whereas... Um, if you're trying to look for, uh, well, Brad Hill was pretty much my chump for this game. Um, <laughs> the uh, the other one, um, an experiment that may not be working for St Kilda is Jonathan Marsh. Uh, look, I love his second and third efforts. He's really quick for a big guy. I think he stands about 194, 95, and he had a few runs through the midfield. Um, he's just not a one-touch player. So when you're taking centre bounces, you can't afford to be fumbling, you need that quick flick off or you need that quick one-touch disposal and that's not that's not working for him and he doesn't always clunk marks in the forward line either, he will take the occasional one and when he does take them, he does look good because he can have a contested grab but um, yeah, at this point I, I feel like uh, we could, or when I say we St Kilda should uh, maybe have a look at a different option and see what they can do there and I might take a breath and let you talk mate Andrew Brayshaw was one who they really, media after the game, were pumping him up as well, yep. just saying that he's coming of age or he's uh, he's probably an unsung player because you've got Walters and Fife and these guys running around, but he's a pretty handy young bloke coming through. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he, he was one of the ones that um, rose to the challenge, for lack of a better term. Um, I think Fife was injected in the midfield to throw a bit of inspiration to the other mids and going, this is how we're going to do it. Follow me and, and we'll be okay. And uh, Walters had a regular run through the midfield and probably was their best player, but Brayshaw was definitely close behind him. Uh, James Aish, former Lion and, and Magpie, also had a fairly decent game from a numbers perspective. Uh, Adam Chera I really like as well. I think he's a yeah, former yeah. Eastern Ranger. Um, yeah, he's starting to come of age as well and looking really good. Yeah, for sure. Uh, one thing, lucky we did. We don't have Jeff Blethen on this week because there was a couple of shots in that game that uh, Rory Lobb was one. I think he missed one from perfect conditions, mm. 20 out directly in front uh, late, in the, late in the game. And I was staggered by it. A professional footballer playing, training most days of the year, um, fit, no weather to contend with, and you 20 moves out and you pump it out in the full like that. It was horrendous. And there was another one at another stage in that game as well. I think there was another shocking miss, and you just scratch your head and think, "Wow." <laughs> yeah, um, I know. I know Max King. I was pretty pretty sure it was Jeff that said he was a fan of Max King. Um, yeah. He missed some 
very gettable chances. And that was yeah. right when St Kilda were on top and really could have pulled away. So makes you think, how do you have converted those chances as to whether uh, that would have been the final nail in the coffin for Frio early and just really debilitated them. But yeah, to, to Frio's credit, they, they fought back very well. Um, St Kilda didn't turn up again after quarter time until about five minutes to go. Uh, yeah. when it was a little bit too late. And, and uh, now the proof's in the pudding, and instead of looking at a 4-2 and two record, they're 3-3. and three. Yeah, it might be one that you rue down the track. You just you just sense that a close loss like that is when you probably shouldn't have. Uh, it might be one that haunts you later on, but thankfully there's still enough weeks to go. But, yeah, I, I know with... When Essendon lose a tight game like that, you just start to think, oh no, what's going to happen later in the season? We've lost that by a kick and we shouldn't have. And it's just one that I reckon uh, Brett Ratton would be very disappointed with. Yeah, absolutely. Now, in terms of disappointment, we can't get much better than the Adelaide Crows at the moment. <laughs> they, um, they can't take a trick, but... Uh, 10-7-67 West Coast 2. You know, it's not a smashing, but... It, they, you just sensed they were in control when they needed to be. And the Crows 5-4-34, so a 33-point win. We won't spend too much time on this one. But I guess the lead-up, uh, Riley O'Brien, who sent out that accidental tweet that just happened to be a breakdown of how he felt he could beat Nick Nat in the ruck uh, a couple of days later. And one of the key things he said was he was slow and lazy or, or unfit and lazy which uh, as soon as that hit the media he must have had a heart attack <laughs> so apparently he blamed it on a broken phone I'm not sure if that was really the reason but uh, Nick Nat took it well it was a great contest so Brian mm. actually almost outdid him but uh, after the game the great scene of Nick Nat walking up and handing him a brand new <laughs> phone which he said was better than his own phone so um be interesting how many people start sledging Nick Nat uh, when they want a new phone. But what what do you think of that? That uh, it was pretty pretty touching into a, what must have been a pretty nervous game for O'Brien. Yeah, um, look at I think he hit the nail on the head that O'Brien almost uh, took chocolates and it was really a a game within a game, wasn't it? Yeah, as soon as there was a duel between the two ruckmen, you you're watching it intently to see who came out on top of the contest. So while Nick Nat's um, numbers weren't probably as great as what O'Brien's was, I think O'Brien ended up with about 17-odd touches, but uh, Nick Nat was ascend- uh, had the ascendancy in the hit-outs and, and the clearances. Uh, they probably... I think they probably ran even... Uh, for different reasons. So I know Nick Nat had that ruck contest where he snapped a goal uh, when his direct opponent was O'Brien and gave him a little message to say, yep, that that one was for you, mate. But um, <laughs> yeah, that, to an otherwise, um, I guess, predictable sort of game, that, that added a bit more flavour to it. Um, to Adelaide's credit, I felt they actually did quite well for, yeah. for the most part. They just couldn't convert their kicking across half forward nah. they could get it there but as soon as they got it there is they just didn't have anyone there to to uh t- pluck a mark or drive it further into 50 and it'll get turned over and west coast would do their thing uh, it took west coast probably about a quarter to get their own game running as well did yeah. um yep. tim kelly's probably best 
that's his best game in blue and gold, I think, uh, from what I've seen. Anyway, uh, the commentators were saying that that was due to Andrew Gaff sacrificing his own game, who was getting tagged out. So um, I, th- I felt Dermot Burden's uh, insights were quite quite insightful, um, for lack of a better term. I used insight and insightful together there. <laughs> but uh, uh, Dermy was... Uh, he was mentioning things that you wouldn't see on the TV. You'd only see it um, if you were at the game itself. So, and I noticed there was an article um, throughout the week that was suggesting that we take a different approach to the way we broadcast the game. But um, we, we can touch on that later if you're familiar with it. But uh, yeah, he yeah was, I was going to bring it up yeah, actually yeah. because uh, you're spot on. Russell Jackson wrote it yeah, for fun. I think abc.com. You'd be able to find it on. On Twitter or go to the ABC website, I think. But it was—I thought it was fascinating. You need a good fifteen minutes to dissect it. It's a—it's a long one, but it's a ripper, isn't it? In terms of as he was getting at TV coverage from the fifties and sixties, they were using almost the same camera techniques as what they're using today, and covering it from the same angles. Mm. And you know, there's been the odd odd introduction of other cameras here and there, but for the most part, it's. And I know I've worked in TV with Channel 9 for a few years and I sat in the box with the director and I know what cameras he's calling and and it is exactly how it would have been done years ago except we've got an introduction of more sort of close ISO cameras. But in terms of sitting at home watching as play unfolds, we really don't have a clue what's set up down the field or what's so we're really judging it on this guy's taking too long to take his kick or this guy's you know directed it the wrong way well has he or we haven't actually seen what was happening outside that tv screen so i thought it was a good article i'm glad you've read it as well and i recommend people do have a read of it because hopefully it just changes things a little bit because i think that's the next step we need to have a bit more of an understanding of what's happening off the ball and all those sides of things as well yeah yeah well um that if uh, the AFL can be a bit more innovative in that in that area, uh, which is probably one of the few areas they haven't been, so um, if we're perfectly honest, they try to be innovative as as often as possible from from my viewpoint anyway. And it might not sit well with some people, well, or more so than others. But yeah, but, but might need sorry, might, might need sorry, might need Clarko to actually say something, <laughs> and it might get changed. Yeah, Clarko <laughs> says it, then uh, yeah, more than likely get done. Uh, we'll just have yeah. to word Clarko up about it. But yeah, yeah. Uh, back to what Dumi was saying about Gaff, saying that um, he was getting tagged out of the game, so he would roll up to the contest and then drag his opponent back out, um, and that would allow the likes of Kelly to be first to the ball. And I think that was pretty important in in the Eagles' win, and their forward line looked much more potent than than what Adelaide's did, and uh, especially with Taylor Walker out and not playing. Um, I did like a few of uh, Adelaide's kids and pickups as well. Um, I think I mentioned Will Hamill last week. Uh, he looks really good. He likes to take the game on. He's got a bit of dash and a bit of dare. Turns it over a little bit, but it, that'll improve in time. Um, ben Keys and Billy Frampton, uh, I think they've been good pickups for, for Adelaide, and they'll work out pretty well for the Crows. And I've been impressed with Dom Sheed. Um, I felt like he's really evolving into an important cog in that midfield if he wasn't already. Apologies to any West Coast supporters have gone, hey, he's already a important he bloke. He won us the yeah, grand final, right. we don't care what yeah. he does. But um, <laughs> yeah, for those that don't obsessively watch West Coast games, it may be a name that you know of but don't necessarily rate. And having watched mm. him the last few weeks, he's definitely an important cog in that midfield. Yeah, so the Eagles head home. I think they head home this week. Um 
on the back of two wins after what looked like a disastrous start. So that's a good sign. I've got a feeling Freo might be two in a row as well, are they? So they they're are, both yeah. heading home. Both heading home. I think there's the the derby might be next up. So the fact that these guys are um, just finding a bit of form, they're going to get a massive crowd at, at their at their derby when it is on. Um, which is going to be huge. So things might just be starting to click into place for them, which is a scary thought for us Victorians <laughs> because the Eagles, are, when they're up and about, they're a pretty awesome sight. So I just get the sense that they're, they're through their worst of it. So it's going to be very interesting what happens yeah, absolutely. with them. And the Crows, obviously, it's just one of those years they just hope they can get a win at some point. Yeah, Another, te- another team that was hoping to get a win was Melbourne against the Gold Coast Suns. They got one. It was a, another decent showing by the Suns, but the Ds got up 12-8-80 to 9-9-63. Um, another debutante, another high draft pick, Isaac Rankin. Mm. Three, three, three pretty uh, classy goals and set the world alight. I just, it got me thinking. I've re- done a bit on Essendon's history over the years and a marvellous performance by the young kid to come in under the hype today and kick three goals. And then you think back to 1949, John Coleman makes his debut and kicks 12 goals on debut. And you think, imagine they had the media today, if that if someone came out and did that on their debut, they'd be LeBron James overnight. You know, it would just be the most unbelievable thing. So yep. we're marvelling about this kid who's come in and kicked three and shown some real class but I, I just think geez I wish we could have seen uh, seen Coleman's debut if that was the case yeah absolutely um, Rankin's definitely uh, shown why there's a bit of hype about him um, I think they're I think for Gold Coast they're, they're still missing Matty Rowell a bit and maybe put a little bit too too much stock into his ability to work through that midfield perhaps um, look I, I could be wrong on that but Look, that that was the win that Melbourne needed, didn't they? Just to stem the flow of losses and get a bit of confidence back. And Petraka's looking good, as I mentioned last week. 25 touches and two goals. Um, Clayton Oliver, 24 touches. Um, so the midfield's working nicely there for the Ds. Jay Viney's back in. Um, Tuk Miller, I like, from Gold Coast. Uh, he was a, I think he was Vic Metro captain. Could be wrong. He was either Vic Metro or Vic Country captain, and definitely shows some leadership there. You can see on the field and nice little solid units. So, um, look, the Gold Coast are going places that they're just going to have a few hiccups along the road, I think. And this was one of them. Yeah, there's certainly some good signs there, though, isn't there? But Melbourne, it's it's one they just had to win if they would have any chance of resurrecting a season, which is. Well, including last season, which has been a pretty ordinary start, but uh, that's that's the sort of win that can reinvigorate your season. So it will be very interesting what happens. Max Gorn, one of the best for the D's as well, had a bunch of um, bunch of hitouts, uh, which is pretty helpful for Clayton Oliver to have his eight clearances, and the list goes mm. on. But the D's, they'll be happy with that one, Melbourne. But um, it seems to be about an average score at the moment, it's somewhere around the sixty to eighty mark. It doesn't yeah. There isn't many, isn't many games that are really pushing past that. So yeah. I know. And a nice little um, stat that came out of Twitter was uh, the combination of the captains there. So Jared Witts for Gold Coast and Max Gorn for Melbourne. That is the tallest combination of captains in the history of the game. 
well, 440 um, centimetres, I think it was. So pretty well. pretty useless step, but a step <laughs> none the same. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice work by you. I'll, I'll show you you've claimed that as your own. No, no, not um, mine. No, no, I wouldn't claim that. <laughs> um, I'll claim... I'll claim any win over North Melbourne. I'll claim any win at all, really. My brother's a North Melbourne fan, so it's always nice just to not get a message off him after the game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Bombers got up 9-13-67 to 7-11-73 um, at Metricon Stadium. I reckon we've got to reconsider these games at night at Metricon because uh, it seems to be the hardest ground to play at uh, conditions-wise, even if it's perfect. If that makes sense, yep. like it, there's a different. I've heard players talk in the past. There's a there's a dew level there, or whatever it is. There's a moisture level there that is different, and it just spoils the the product of it. No, I don't just mean because it's my team in the game, <laughs> but I just I've thought it for a while. That it's the one. That, a lot of players say it that it, it's the hardest venue to play at at night. Yep. So I found it interesting, and it certainly proved that way. It wasn't the most pretty game of all time, but. Um, but the Bombers, I, I'm just uh, ecstatic with what's happening down back with Michael Hurley and the young understudy coming up under him, Jordan Ridley, mm. who, boy, has he done some impressive things for us. Yeah, it's been some big raps in the, last, in the last couple of weeks, hasn't it? Yeah, for sure. And, oh, he, he's not scared of anything. He's happy to throw himself back there. He reads the play really well. Um, you'd, you'd walk a bit taller having Michael Hurley and Kyle Hooker and these guys around you, of course. But um, yeah, I'm I'm really wrapped that Hurley is fit and healthy and, and out on the field because it's he's producing a really important he's playing a really important role in helping to develop what looks like being a pretty quality. We talk about um, Collingwood's more Darcy Moore, and you know we're talking about someone like that that might be able to really hold down your defence going forward so from an Essendon perspective I think we're all pretty excited by what he was doing and he's a pretty tall kid too so um, another one of those versatile freaks of nature that we <laughs> seem to have these days everyone seems to be tall yet they're able to pick the ball up off their feet or do acrobatic things it wasn't happening as much in my day um, but otherwise I don't know what to take out of the game really I, I'm more more wrapped with individuals. I thought mm. Devin Smith stood up. He was back to his sort of um, pressurising and annoying best. And Andrew McGrath is clearly reaching into a really important physical phase. Yep. He's, he's he's gone past that young buck and he's able to really command some minutes in the middle. And he throws his weight around, which will be important now that Dylan Shields out for a couple of weeks. As Dylan's been really good in that bullocking sense over the, the first few rounds. Uh, will Snelling's come in and been really really impressive I've been wrapped with his output and again I mean he's had 15 disposals but he walks off the ground you think wow he's had a really important game so that's where I think this season the stats go out the window a bit David Zarakis has been bagged for a few weeks I was yeah. probably one who was considering maybe he should be having a step back but like he does throughout his career he'll have a few quiet ones then he'll come out and really turn it on and he really did didn't he him, we yeah, he did, and if he didn't play, we might not have won. He was really important, three goals, and just just had that buzz back and that drive that had been missing for a few weeks, I think. So I was really wrapped with with him coming back. Um, 
just news through just on the Sunday night. The news through, come through that Conor McKenna, I think he's fractured his finger. And oh, looks okay. like he's going to be out for a few weeks. So, What do you make of that uh, little jibe at him? Um, who was it from? Luke McDonald. Yeah, I... I was going to ask you that as well. I I think back to the Sam Mitchell one around the the drug saga period, and um, it's a it's a bad look. But you know, when you play sport, they're they're harmless sort of jobs that you do just to get your bloke off game. It's not yep. a it's not a a comment about your background or anything like that. Yeah. It's just uh, you just happen to be in the news that week for a certain reason, and so I. It falls, in, it falls into really raw metal territory, doesn't it? Like yeah, AFL want yeah. all these players to be clean cut and role models for the kids, and don't want that sort of stuff uh, being shown to the kids. And when it does, they they want to appear as though they're doing something about it. But the likelihood of something major happening with it is probably low, considering that, as you say, it's not any, a jive at his background or uh, anything like that. Is probably unnecessary, but. Uh, in the same breath, it's it's all part of the sporting field these this day and age, isn't it? Yeah, uh, it just depends how sensitive everyone is around mm. the the fact of everything going on at the moment with the the virus and everything. So I can understand if that's, but I mean, it's harmless stuff, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if Riley O'Brien's getting a few phone jobs <laughs> at him going forward from different players over the journey. So you know, it's it's all part of the fun, but we have become a, an age where we're over-the-top sensitive to the smallest of things. Yep. And as soon as one person's offended, we suddenly have to stop doing it. But I don't... Yeah, I, I think it sums up. I, McDonald's not... You know, he's not someone that I want my son to really be idolised by, but I, at the same time, I don't think he really did any serious harm by yeah. it. Yeah. Just a bit of a stupid act to try and act cool in front of your mates. Yeah. We... And what about Ben Brown? Like, uh, I'm pretty sure that... Uh, North coach, um, he mentioned that he'll stick by him in in this sort of lean time. He's not, he's, I think he's, that's his third sort of poor game in a row. At least he he managed to snag one, but he's not having much impact on the scoreboard or otherwise for North at the moment. Well, we're, I remember being at a game uh, early two thousands, and um, Corey McKernan was just <laughs> having a. A run of bad form, and he had this game where he—I don't think he touched it the whole game, and he just—he seemed to run under it every time, or he'd just be short, or he just could not get near it. And it just seems like he's in that funk as well at the moment. Ben Brown—he just can't get to the right, and then when he does actually get a bit of space to lead into, the, the kicks into him haven't been great either. So he's a bit of a victim of his team's poor mm. showing in that sense, yep. but at the same time. The great players make it happen for them, so he, the challenge for him is to really make that happen ASAP because his team needs him. And if he had have stood up and been able to at least bring his teammates into the game a bit um, and allow them to go, even if he couldn't score them himself, um, they might have been more of a more of a chance north. So I found yep. that I think that's where the frustration is. You know, it's probably just around the corner, but nothing's working for him at the moment, and it's sort of being put under the microscope. So. Good for Essendon that he didn't uh, <laughs> didn't stand up. But um, what I did love, uh, I had a few, I've been sort of uh, wryly smiling away the last few weeks when North talk about this absolute hatred they have of Essendon and this rivalry and all this. And then after the game, 
Um, Devin Smith <laughs> gets asked. <laughs> no one's really commented on it from Essendon's end the whole time. And every time we play North, there's this build-up about this rivalry. And I love my rivalries, so don't get me wrong. I love that there's some sort of debate about it. But after the game, Devin Smith just interviewed on the ground. He said, oh, it's a bit of a rivalry build-up from them. But for us, it's just another game. Yeah. You know, like that It was instantly just... And North will use that next time we play them, no doubt. And I think Andrew McGrath might have said something similar on radio afterwards. And that was sort of the view I had too. Like, Yes, we've had some interesting games, and but I think it's a little the little brother, big brother thing. Yep. I think North have always been a bit envious of Essendon's success and maybe, maybe arrogance at times. Mm. And, and North have always been that battling club. So I can see why they're the little brother desperately wanting to just keep chipping away at Big Brother but and Big Brother's sort of looking at them going what are you what are you doing stand back <laughs> but but um, that adds to the rivalry I think so that makes it even more fascinating but yeah. I, I, I definitely think it's more worked up in North's dressing room than it is in Essendon's but makes for good theatre it does indeed yeah um, I did I did listen to that little interview for Devin Smith and it was the proverbial proverbial uh pin in the balloon, wasn't it? Just uh, <laughs> deflating North's uh, pump-up of the rivalry. Um, yeah. But, yeah, no, I, I reckon that, as you say, that'll probably pump up the rivalry a, a little bit more, and especially from North's end, and going, oh, well, they don't rate us. Let's let's show them that we are worth rating, and, well, now they have to back that up. But uh, we'll see when they meet again, I guess. Yeah, no doubt. North will be using that, and that will uh, add to it, but which will be fascinating, but... What was also fascinating, on Sunday, Port Adelaide and the Giants, I expected this to be a shootout and a really top-of-the-table clash, and it sort of petered out for a while there, and there wasn't much to really... There was some entertaining stuff going on, Mm. uh, battles within battles. You always love watching Toby Green and just seeing what he does and different people, but it sort of looked like, yeah, I'm not sure what's going to happen... I'm not, not jumping out of my seat here. And then the Giants, you thought, entering sort of that last quarter, I thought, oh, the Giants might get over the line here. And then in that last probably 10 or 15 minutes, Port Adelaide just went bang and flexed their muscle and they used the ball better. They were more composed. They they controlled much of that last quarter, really, and really made a statement, I think, yeah. because we probably assumed that the Giants were the sleeping Giants mm. because... We know the talent they've got, and Port Adelaide were disappointing uh, last week, I think it was. So, um, had the feeling that maybe the bubble might burst, but Port, to their credit, and they've got some great young blokes there, they were really, really impressive in that last 10 minutes, especially. Yeah, um, yeah, I really felt it was a it was a high defensive pressure game, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. And they, they did force each other into turnovers, but it wasn't... Um, a game that you sat there and going, oh, this is horrible to watch. Like you could feel the, no. the the pressure and the intensity of the of the players, and I felt from from my part, Port just took their advantage of their opportunities a bit more. Um, it wasn't really a massive game for the tall forwards, so Charlie Dixon and Justin Westoff kept jumping into each other and going for the same marking contests and spoiling each other. So that wasn't very beneficial to them um at the other end so you got finlayson and himmelberg who i don't think contributed to the goal tally for for uh gws and they were coming off four goals each the previous weeks so um whereas cameron was playing a bit more up the ground so his ability to affect the 
the uh, scoreboard wasn't as as big as what it would normally be so it was sort of left up to the smalls and the mids to to do most of the scoring and as I say I, I felt that Port just were a bit more effective moving forward and were able to take up opportunities uh, a bit better than what Giants were. Yeah, Finlayson got one, and uh, I can't find the other one at the moment. But um, no, pretty poor. And but you need, I reckon they need Cameron up the field because he's he's kicking inside fifty. Saw it on a couple of occasions. Was pretty impressive, so you can understand um, wanting to keep him up there. But you need those other blokes to be kicking two or three each just to justify that move. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see if Leon Cameron can. Stick that out, and I reckon Ken Hinckley will be pretty ecstatic to have a win like that. When Robbie Gray, one of the oh, what do you have? Maybe thirteen disposals yeah. and one goal. Uh, Charlie Dixon, one goal. That's <laughs> to have two of your absolute um, forward stars down and and quiet, and to be able to produce a win like that. It says plenty for their why they're on top of the ladder and a game clear, I believe. So there, there's a lot of positive signs there for Port Adelaide. Yeah, it's a sign of a top team, isn't it? Uh, they find a way to win, and when someone's down, someone picks up the slack. So I think for today, Port, it was for Pal Pepper. Um, I believe the commentator... I haven't seen a lot of Port this year, so just taking a bit of stock into what the commentators were giving feedback in, and they were saying Pal Pepper has had one of his better games this year. So just looking at yeah, his numbers, uh, 22 touches... Um, not much on the defensive side, so he hasn't laid a tackle there. But um, from what I saw, Pal Pepper um, had a bit of impact as well. Oh, definitely, and, and and particularly late as well when they needed a good body to stand up and do a few things. He he was he was part of that. So entertaining-ish, not as entertaining as the game at the end of the round, but the one in between it, um, I forced myself to sit through it. <laughs> R- Richmond kicked three goals in the first five or six minutes and you thought wow this game's on yep. um, they kick one more for the day this is the premiers of two of the last three seasons mm. uh, I know it was wet but it was also wet the next game and uh, we saw what happened there high scoring fast play skills were quite good whereas Richmond Sydney was just chip 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 mm. chip around and Richmond 4-10-34 held on to win over the Swans 3-8 26 in the second lowest scoring combined scoring game in the AFL era. So from 1990 onwards, yep. uh, that only one game has been. I think it was like maybe one or two points lower than that. So that's uh, that's a stinker. Mm. And after the game, I was uh, interested to hear Coach Damien Hardwick's comments. He he said he called it a, an horrendous game of football. He said it was farcical and horrible. And just some of the... He never said it, but the tone that he used, I got the sense he was saying it was Sydney that was to blame yep. for the way it was played out. So that, that'll that get some traction during the week. But he was right. I'm glad he said it because it was... If you ever wanted... I know commentators are paid to keep saying the game's on and you're a chance to win. And, you know, even if you're a few goals down late. But all throughout that, from about the second quarter onwards, if you go back and listen to it and listen to... Brian Taylor's commentary, he hated that he game did. and he he was scathing of them throughout, as much as you could be as a commentator in today's world. 
Um, he was really peed off with what he was seeing, and I echoed his sentiments. Yeah, I was going to say, BT has his detractors, but uh, I think a lot of people would have been on par with his thoughts uh, today. So he was asking boundary riders, why Why is this happening? Yeah. What, what, yeah, that's right. Why is this game being played out the way it is? <laughs> and yeah, Jimmy Bartell, who was also insightful, and said, look, well, Richmond are dropping numbers back, and, and Sydney are not allowing them to... Well, Sydney are not kicking the ball forward uh, to a con- to a contest. They're just kept playing keepings off essentially until something opens up. So that's why nothing was happening and it wasn't making for a great spectacle. And obviously you're going to get those people that have that knee-jerk reaction once again and say, well, footy's a debacle at the moment. But when we touch on the next game, it, it, it clearly is. And it's just, you're just going to get those games, unfortunately. And as you say, it was wet and uh, they were saying that it started pouring after about half time, I think it was, and just made yep. conditions really greasy. Look, Richmond, Richmond supporters will come out firing and go, oh, look, uh, we had five of our first 22 out plus the guys that didn't come up and that sort of thing. And uh, look, I, I would have tipped Richmond regardless for this uh, because – Essentially, Sydney are operating with a one-man forward line, and that's Tom Papley. If he didn't kick his two goals today, <laughs> I dare say Sydney would not have got would not have gone past one goal. No, true. So um, he he's playing a lone hand up there, and for a little bloke of his stature, um, yeah. it's pretty admirable. I mean, he's he's only got the uh, ten touches, but. He, he did damage and he looked dangerous around there as well, but they're crying out for another target down there. Um, yeah. Nick Blakey's not doing the job down there. Uh, they're also missing um, a genuine Ruckman as well. They got murdered in the hitouts. So yeah, they did. E- yeah. Even though Nankervis wasn't in the side, they've they still got an Admiral backup in Ivan Soldo and he just absolutely murdered uh, whoever he was contesting against. So I think they had Hayden McLean running through, which I think he's more of a uh, tall forward rather than then a genuine ruckman, and then they had, I think, Jordan Dawson, who stands at 190 centimetres pinch hitting. So, look, uh, for Richmond fans, they'll they'll go back and go, well, well, Sean Grigg used to pinch hit for us, and that wasn't an issue. But I, I think for Sydney, they've got bigger problems. Um, Josh Kennedy was out early yeah, that didn't uh, help. with his knee, which yeah. was unfortunate because he's been a real warrior for them, and he's getting on in age. But he's also, I feel he's holding that midfield together in a sense. Um some of those players are not coming on as well as they, or as well as Sydney would want them to. Um, I was impressed with Callum Mills. That's probably the best game I've seen Sydney a lot this year, and I think that's probably Callum Mills' best game for the year. Um, but they've got a lot of passengers as well, um, and they've got a they've got to rejig a bit. I know Isaac Heaney went out late in the game with an ankle, but he's been pretty quiet the last couple of weeks and not having the impact he should be. Uh, blokes like Sam Gray that they got from Port, mm. if they if he's playing in a team that's not doing well, he's he doesn't do a lot. And he'll only pop up when his team's doing well. So um, I think they re- need to relook at him. Luke Parker's not having a great run either. Um, he only had 10 touches for the game and he, he's lost he's lost something. I don't know what's going on with him, but he's not having anywhere near the impact that he used to have. Um, switching to Richmond, though, uh, Kane Lambert, I probably should touch... Well, we probably should have touched on him last week. He had 27 touches and three goals in last week's game and he's backed it up with uh, no goals this week, but 22 touches for a, for a bloke that's been plucked out of the VFL. He's definitely shown his AFL quality. 
for sure, yeah. And the Tigers, two wins on the trot now, and they're just starting to get a bit of a bit of well, momentum. Richmond Army up and about, they will be. Yeah, they, they should. Yeah, they will be, and the, and that's the thing. They've you know they've played in a stinker of a game, one of the worst we've seen for a long time, and they've won it. And they're now sitting six on the ladder, so they're. They're feeling okay about themselves, but we've given that game way too much air time. <laughs> it's a good game to finish off on, though. Carlton and the Bulldogs last night was uh, a ripper, really. I mean, you look at it, and it's a 52-point win to the Blues, and you go, oh, there's another stinker. But that was actually very... Even until last quarter, it was still in the balance. But there was a very entertaining game from start to finish. Carlton's forward pressure set them up early and really set the tone and that was the standard they had to live up to after that. The Dogs obviously have some quality players as well so they matched them there for a time. Um, the Blues kicked away. Just their forward line far more uh, versatile and, and mm. dynamic and exciting and they won 16-7-103 to the Bulldogs 7-9-51 so a huge win for the yeah, Blues. Blowout. Yeah, it was in the end, yeah, but um, if you were watching for most of the game, uh, you would have thought dogs are still a chance. So it was that sort of day, but the Blues, the cream just came to the top. They had too many. And Patrick Cripps um, stru- struggled early, and he hurt his hurt his shoulder as well. He played on, yeah, but he, he hardly had a touch in the first half. So for the Blues to do what they did when he'd sort of carried them for a couple of years, and uh, that's a pretty good sign when you've got all these other blokes who are now standing up. And, gee, having... Harry Mackay in the team and having mm. a Mitch McGovern who really looked eager a few times there he was really involved and that's that's all they've wanted to see Carlton fans for a few weeks and they weren't sure whether he was showing that but there's just signs there that things are really in the right direction and you know, they're not going to challenge for a premiership this year but there's some really positive stuff going on they just need to keep a team on the park. Yeah, I reckon there's, there's a couple of Blues fans out there that might argue with you after that game, but uh, <laughs> in terms of premiership race. Yeah, but, true. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I find when their tour forwards are on, that's when the rest of the team are on. Um, I know, uh, touching back to when they played St Kilda, St Kilda um, figured them out pretty early and had done all the damage they needed to do by half-time and then the rest played out the way they wanted it to. But... Um, yeah, in that game, they obviously towed up Cripps and Doherty early and just dried up any of their influential ball movers. But I don't think that, apart from Cripps, I don't think that really happened, did it? Um, even Doherty, he had 15 touches, but there was an even, more of an even spread for Carlton and their tall forwards fired. So it's good to, uh, the Warrigal boy, Harry Mackay, getting a few goals. He'll be pretty happy with that. He's probably ringing his uh, twin brother up now, just uh, letting him know how good he was for the night. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know the Mackays, do you? Uh, not personally, but I, I do know they like to have a, a little bit of a jab at each other. So, Very good. Um, yeah, so I know Ben's not getting a game down at North at the moment, so he'd probably be telling him all about that as well. Um, but yeah, look, the Blues were very impressive, and like before that St Kilda game, they were impressive as well, and... Um, I think consistency is just going to be the key for them. And and look, uh, flipping it over to the Bulldogs, they'd be really disappointed in that loss. Like they they've been carrying some pretty decent form. Or at the start of the season, they they're probably a bit disappointing, but uh, they managed to get into a rich vein of form. And now they've got to go back and figure out what went wrong there and move forward from there. So they would have uh, definitely been looking at this as a game they should have won. 
yeah, coming off three wins in a row, and um, this win would have put them in that top six, seven bracket, and now they've they've dropped down to twelfth. The dogs, so it's in one of those seasons where it's going to be so crucial. Uh, they've got my bombers next week, which will be a very interesting game. But um, yeah, I think the dogs, Bevo will be just scratching the head a little bit there because. There's some signs, but too inconsistent. And guys like uh, Josh Bruce didn't really get involved on the scoreboard this week, whereas he kicked six yep. the other day, didn't he? And guys like that, um, you need a few more. Like Carlton, they had a few more avenues to goal. Um, the six, 60-year-old yep. Eddie Betts was still running around and still finding <laughs> a way to... Uh, I mean, he just provides a spark and some class. And then at the other end, you've got Jack Martin, who's still quite young and few things he did. I mean, you look at his stats, only 13 disposals, but he, a couple of goals, and just sometimes he got the ball, and it was really quite exciting. And then you have the stability of an Ed Curnow, mm. who's, uh, and let's not forget, his brother's not playing, and he's probably yeah. potentially the star of the team. So some huge signs there, and good good to see Lockie Hunter for the Dogs come back in and, and get his hands on the ball and do a few things, because he's had a pretty ordinary few months. So that was that's a... One positive sign, and Bailey Smith, a really exciting player to watch. Bailey Smith, isn't he? Just has a yeah, crack, yeah, and, yeah. The flying so. mullet, yeah, yeah, yeah. He just has well, a dip. He does, doesn't he? And he he does something with the ball as well. Like we, we've talked all podcast about, um, or this episode anyway, about impact players, and he does something with it. He he hits a target, or he puts it to the advantage of his teammates. So, and that's reflective in. Um, in his stats there that you can if you jump on the on the AFL website you can see his stats and he's he's pretty much up there uh, as I say doggies would just be disappointed with that effort and it's uh, no no contribution from your tour forwards and I dare say they're gonna have to ask a few questions about Josh Shackey I, he's um, he's not doing what they want him to do um, at he, best he's, at best he's a what third Forward option, like he, he can't be a yeah. main man, can he? And nah, he's just a, he hasn't lived up. Uh, the, it's a scary word, potential, but he hasn't really mm. lived up to that. And what what they hoped they were signing up for hasn't really worked out yet. Yeah, I'm, I'm worried he's going to go down the Tom Boyd path uh, eventually, and just give it away. Um, might all be just a little bit too hard for him. But we're not in that inner circle. We don't know where his mind's at, so. Um, we we get told that footy's uh, quite a big mental game and that could be one of his issues. It might not be. So, um, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see and see if he can pull himself out of that slump. But, yeah, the doggies definitely need something more out of him if he's going to continue on. And uh, definitely Josh Bruce. And I mean, prior to his six goals last week, he hadn't done much prior to that either. So they need him to be a bit more consistent too, considering they've they've got him for a, another two years after this. Yeah, and I find I find that's the issue with the teams that we talk about aren't doing well is the lack of a forward line. You know, mm. we can all... All the teams have the players quality enough to get the ball and get it up there, but the teams that can't... Like, when Melbourne weren't hitting the scoreboard, that, you know, they were they were doing okay in the competitive side of things, but it's getting it up forward and actually scoring goals they were struggling with and they it all come together on the weekend and they surprise surprise they have a win so there's yep. 
And it's the same with the dogs. If Bruce bobs up and kicks four, then maybe they win the game. Like, it's completely different. So that's – and Sydney, as you said, the smallest bloke in the league almost in Tom Papley <laughs> is their, their main man up forward. So that's a worry going forward as well. Um, yeah. Um, if we had more time, I'd probably discuss more about John Longmire. And he's been there a long time now, and he got his premiership early and – Nothing much has changed since then, though, has it? Like they haven't really adapted. Yeah. Like, a, I just, I just wonder. I don't like ever pinning it all on the coach and the era changes. But I don't know if John changes enough with the game to. Yeah. Obviously, knows a lot more than me about the game, but I don't think the Swans. They need some a different approach because they just weren't prepared to go forward, and and then we see it with Carlton. They were attacking at all all opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but Carlton had their woes for a long time there as well. So, look, Sydney, Sydney's been up um, for a very long time, and I think it's uh, they they probably over for my mind they probably overachieved maybe the last one or two seasons and got the best out of uh, their veterans, and now a few of them are gone or traded away. And I, as I say, I don't think some of their kids uh, have come on quite as well as they thought. They've definitely got a couple of Good ones. Uh, George Hewitt and Ollie Florent are, are really good pickups, but some of those other ones, they're, they're just go, going to be those good players and they're not going to be, or at this stage, not great players. So they, they'll probably be active come off season and have a look at what's around and possibly not Joe Danaher this year, but um, they may look at other things and blokes that aren't getting a game in the in the top tier teams and, and have a look at them, I think. Yeah, um, two metre Peter up at the Gold Coast, um, Peter. Yeah, he's not getting a game, is he? No, no, Essendon, talk about him having a, us looking at him and we might have to if, if Joe ends up leaving or can't get his body right. So that's that's one that Sydney as well, they should be jumping at. He's a, he's a good talent, he just needs the opportunity, I think. But yeah, you're right, you're right. The ladder, just a quick rundown of the ladder, we're running out of time, but Port Adelaide on top, they're on 20 points, they're a game clear and a massive percentage clear of everyone um, yep. won four of their last five games then Geelong second on 16 Brisbane third on 16 Essendon fourth on 16 look at us just rising nicely <laughs> Collingwood fifth on 14 Richmond sixth on 14 St Kilda thereabouts uh, um, seventh on 12 points Carlton are into the eight there on 12 points as well fantastic for Blues fans the Suns are also on 12 points they're in ninth the Giants are on 12 West Coast are on 12 they're in 11th Western Bulldogs are on 12 they're 12th the Hawks are on 12 they're 13th Frio are on 8 they're 14th Melbourne are on 8 15th North Melbourne 8 16th Sydney 8 17th and the Adelaide Crows well they're yet to have a win and Pretty poor percentage and not a lot happening there, so that's disappointing. And just quickly, the games next week, some some rippers really. Geelong play the Pies on Thursday night at Optus Stadium. Who'd have thought we'd ever see those two teams playing there? But there'll be a crowd there. That's probably the first real big occasion for the season. It'll be fantastic. And both in some pretty good form, so it'll be a really interesting game. My Bombers take on Matty Dunn's Bulldogs on Friday night. Tick that one off for the Dons, hopefully. Every time I say that, we lose, so I'll, I'll regret <laughs> that. But that's um, that's up at Metricon, I think. Um, uh, yes, it is. Another night game in the interesting conditions up there. Uh, Saturday, Giants play 
Brisbane, which is, the, is another ripper at Giants Stadium. Then you've got the Swans and the Suns. Um, the Suns would be feeling pretty confident, I would think. Uh, Richmond, yeah, I think so. Yeah, for sure. Richmond, North Melbourne. Interesting game again, but probably the Tigers on uh, Saturday night. And then Sunday, Carlton Port Adelaide now looks as a really exciting game to watch. Hawthorne, yep. Melbourne is the second game at Giants Stadium. Uh, huge, huge test for the Ds. It's one they have to win if they think they're a serious chance. Um, and finally, on the Sunday, the West Coast Frio derby in at Optus Stadium, Sunday night. Uh, if you're not doing anything, make sure you're watching that game. Then there's one more on the Monday. We've got Adelaide Oval. Uh, Crows at home to the Saints. There'll probably be a crowd there too, mate. So that's a big game for your Sainters. Yeah, Saints haven't won uh, over in Adelaide for a number of years, so watch this space. Adelaide will get their first four points of the year. <laughs> a very uh, typical St Kilda fan there. Yep, very, yep. very jaded. Could have been Premiers a couple of weeks ago and now struggling to beat the Wooden Spooners, so that'll be interesting, yep. but I, I think your Saints will be all right there. But uh, any local news, mate, before we wrap up? Yeah, I'll whiz through some of the local news. So um, anyone new to the podcast or the local news is Gippsland-based. Obviously, we're a Gippsland-based podcast talking about AFL and Gippsland footy news. Uh, so Gippsland League under-18s and 16s are due to kick off on Saturday, July 18. So under-16 games start at 11 a.m. Uh, under-18 games start at 1 p.m. Uh, the fixture is up on the Gippsland League Facebook page and most likely the website. I saw it on the Facebook page first, so... Jump on there. Uh, the mid and Alberton joint uh, competition in the under-18s is also due to kick off on the 18th. So they're doing things a little bit differently. They're choosing um, three to four different locations and playing two to three games from those locations. So uh, depending on the week it'll be, they'll have a game start at 10 in the morning and then another one at 12. Um, there's a couple of rounds there I notice where they're going to play three games out of the one location and they start as early as 8 o'clock, which uh, is slightly uh, weird from my viewpoint, but I'm sure they've got a reason for it. Um, if they've got anyone from Mid Gippy or Alberton that know what's going on there, feel free to give us a buzz. Uh, Mid Gippy news, uh, coach re-signing at Mall East. Uh, Devin Suda has re-signed there, so he took uh, he's taken Mall East pretty well uh, into finals uh, capacity. So more or least uh, a couple of years ago weren't doing so great. So he's done well there and they've done well to keep a hold of him. Uh, there was an article in Gippsland Times by Sam Watson. Uh, a couple of clubs in North Gippy were due to have some anniversaries. So Cowa were due to have a 125th anniversary and South City were due to have a 50th year anniversary. So if you want to read more about that, jump on the Gippsland Times. That's on their website. Um, player re-signings have been announced at Warrigal Industrials, Traralgon, Morwell East, Traralgon Ties United and Kilcunda Bass. Kilcunda Bass is a fairly decent one. Uh, they play out of the West Gippsland competition and they had a big re- uh, they had a big signing uh, over the off-season. Uh, Nathan Miotoro, who came from Kuirup, uh, met with a very interesting uh, fanfare. Uh, he's re-signed for the 2021 season. Uh, there was a couple of junior footy practice matches across the board, so um, I did share them on the Gippsland Footy social media. If you want to jump on there, you can have a look. Uh, a very interesting article too. I'll cap the local news off with this. So, our good mate Russell Bennett, who works out of Pakenham Gazette, uh, he's uh, got his finger on the pulse when it comes to AFL Gippsland Certainly and. Has. 
yeah, and, and what they're doing in regards to their strategic plan for uh, what football looks like in the Greater Gippsland region. Uh, jump on the Pakenham Gazette uh, website or the Facebook page and just read on his latest article about what's going on there. It's very fascinating reading and uh, Gippsland football uh, is going to look... Well, we don't know what it's going to look like because... <laughs> uh, who knows uh, what sort of route they're going to take. Uh, are they going to go with the recommended report? Um, what's going to happen? But he's got a few insights in there that no one else is really doing. So credit to Russ. He's a very good journo down there, and we watch his space on that. Yeah, yeah. It might be worth getting him on at some stage or having a midweek chat with him because uh, between the two of you, you'd, uh, you'd cover a fair bit of what <laughs> what we need to know about what is going on. And it's, that's great that those junior games are only a few days away from kicking off. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they've been crying out for a bit of a local footy in some way, shape or form, and this will provide it for the punters. Fingers crossed there's uh, no COVID spikes in the Gippsland region because uh, that'll put an end to those seasons pretty quickly. That's true because um, just reading again on the paper news, just before we um, we jumped on to today, mate, and the, the, there's been two positive tests in um, Bass Coast and one in mm. South Gippsland, my area. So everyone's probably on edge a bit. Um, how, what about you? Are you in lockdown where you are? I didn't ask you at the start of the show, but are you are you lucky enough that like me, where you can? go up the street and still have a coffee and just keep your distance but you can actually sit there and, and sip on a latte or do you are you stuck at home at the moment um so i'm in cadenia shire so we're classed in the melbourne metro area uh, so we are in stage three lockdown so we can go out for essentials only um and we can't go out of that uh, Melbourne Metro proximity. So if I wanted to come and visit you down in Sunny Lee and Gatha, um, I'd have I'd need to have a much better reason than to say I'm going to visit Dr. Dan down in Lee and Gatha. Yeah, so uh, I I, came, I actually went down the lakes entrance for a couple of days um, and then we're coming back. We uh, went past the roadblock on, on the freeway at, at Longworry. Um, so, yeah, that was backed up all the way to the Bunyip exits. So... Um, police blockade there where we were taking down details for why you're coming out this way and and that sort of jazz so yeah no I won't, I won't be going out that way anytime soon unfortunately but uh, fingers crossed the cases start to dissipate for a, for a while and then we can return to well maybe a little bit more normalcy that was previous to what we're doing now but if you listen to all the so-called experts they're they're um saying this is the new normal but you know look, we'll, we'll try not to delve too much into that we'll, we'll keep it on footy and keep spirits a bit higher yeah definitely but uh definitely stay safe where you and your family are mate and um yeah, hopefully, hopefully at some point you can uh, sh- shout me a coffee publicly again somewhere. <laughs> but uh, for now, we just hope that uh, you stay safe where you are, and we uh, we look forward to chatting again in a few days' time. Absolutely, same to you and yours, mate. And um, we'll, we'll uh, be speaking in person, hopefully sooner rather than later. Yeah, definitely. All right. That's been our latest edition of any given Monday. Hope uh, we hope Owen's given you some insights into the games, much more than I could anyway, and uh, hopefully you get a bit of an idea of what, what was good and what was bad over the weekend, and we look forward to getting back to you again 
next week. Stay safe this week, everybody. And uh, as I used to sign out on my old radio show, go Bombers. Any given Monday.